from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Good morning, everybody. It's the Tiny House Podcast. My name is Perry. Good morning. This is Michelle. And this think. is at Mark Grimes on Twitter. Oh, my word. Hey, it's something different every time. I have to get better at self-promotion. No, I think you do a pretty good job of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're okay. <laughs> Especially in when, you're, when you're among in a crowd. Oh, yeah. That's Michelle fun. is in her element like a, like, a, like a cheetah on the savannah. <laughs> when she's in a crowd, everything's fair game. Moving That's fast right. and loud. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Fast, loud, and proud. Fast and loud in the crowd. <laughs> in the crowd. Exactly. That's my next tattoo. Thank you, Perry. <laughs> <laughs> now I just got to figure out where to put it. So we'll be asking Mark for his feedback later. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Mark doesn't, hopefully, the Mark doesn't know that much intimate information about you. About tattoo placements? Yes, <laughs> How do we go here? This is starting to sound like another podcast. Oh, I I know. <laughs> exactly. We got there pretty quick, too. Yeah, we did. Vina, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you guys? We're, as you can tell, we're high as a kite. <laughs> high on yeah. life. High, high on life, high on life. Let's be very clear. <laughs> I think we just broke a record for how quickly we got to the guest this time. I think so. <laughs> we just had to get it back on the rails. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so for the listeners, Vina Lustado, is that how you say your last name, Vina? That's right. Okay, I'm like Larry King. I don't prepare for my interviews. <laughs> and it shows so well. And it shows so often. He has his bio right in front of you, right I in do, front actually. of him on his laptop. <laughs> um, Vina Lustado is a, actually, to be really honest with the listeners, I have a love affair with Vina's tiny house. <laughs> I really? first, Yeah, I first saw your tiny house. Um probably a year ago when actually it was, you know when it was Mark, it was when you and I were putting together that book Un conference. No, it was when no. we were putting together the book on, on, um, on tiny houses. Okay. The, that resource book yep, guide. Yep, yep. And we had, we, you know, we had collected, Oh, like I think it was a hundred or 500, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, sources of tiny house information. And one of the sources that we collected was your website. And when I saw your tiny house, I was like, wow, this thing is freaking beautiful. And so, we go way Thanks. back. Thanks. I'd love to hear about the book. I want to know about the book. Oh, cat's out of the bag. <laughs> Wait a minute. I didn't know about the book. Uh-oh. It's been written and it's collecting tough. Exactly. It's been it's been in the sh- in the making for three years. <laughs> Just wait, people. We actually, we actually finished it maybe in, in about eight months and then it just sat. It sat. But the podcast kind of came out of that in a way. Yeah, I guess it did in a way. Well, let's just say it did. Okay, that's it. That's <laughs> yeah. So, Vina, um, it's your your life is really is, is Vina. I'm looking at Michelle now. Is Vina is she popular in the tiny house movement? Do people oh, know uh, who yeah. she is? Oh, oh she does. Uh, yeah, everybody okay. does. Okay, well then we don't need to go into a whole lot of background. But her bio is very interesting. It looks like, well, instead of me reading it or talking to it, Vina, why don't you tell us about yourself? Huh. Okay. Um. Let's see. You know, I just started writing a little bit from the Turning Tiny book that's going to be um, launched at the Jamboree. And so that kind of allowed me to dig deeper as to how I got to the tiny house movement. But I would say it started when I was a young kid in the Philippines when I really just loved living in um, the kind of 
backroads jungle part of the Philippines where there was no modern conveniences. And my aunt and uncle lived in a hut, an Ipa hut, with just um, coconut trees that they lived off of for their, uh, you know, selling them in town. And they lived on an open fire cooking with um, just sticks and washing their clothes by the stream. But um, when I came to the States, to LA at the age of seven, I yearned for that simplicity um, throughout my adulthood. And I traveled a lot and I went to school for architecture. And in my career as um, working in the corporate ladder of architecture, I realized that there was a lot of things I didn't necessarily believe in the profession, um, like, well, for instance, it was a lot of catering to those who are very privileged and spending a lot of money on resources and um, contributing to greenhouse gases and a lot of environmental impact on the planet. So I started my own company soon after moving to Ojai, which is where I live now. And I decided to um, focus on my company for those who had more of a modest income. And uh, that was really satisfying. So after a few years of um, forming my company called Soul House Design, I wanted to design and build my own project with my own values about sustainability and affordability. Um, And so there was no way of doing it. I mean, I had not much money. I couldn't afford to buy any property or buy an existing office. So I found out from a friend of mine who was actually a colleague from Germany I did a fellowship with. He told me about the tiny house women, or at least Jay Schaefer, um, about his tiny house. And this was, I think, 2011, 2012. And I didn't think too much about the house itself because um, it just seemed so far off to live in such a small space. Although I lived in spaces about 400 square feet all my life in guest houses, but something that extreme just seemed kind of unrealistic to me. So um, basically, I, I researched it more and I just fell in love with it after under, I understood the philosophy more about living simply and minimally and how it aligns to my core values. And so that was it. I basically just decided to design and build and uh, just for myself, never thinking it was going to be for other people, although I thought it would be a way to, you know, have others think of simplifying their own lives and that was 2013 when I completed my house and I was really surprised how much it resonated with other people since then is the it, so soul house design is that the the first project that quote-unquote soul house design created was your tiny house is that correct no uh, I would say I created my um my company 2000 nine soon after you know the recession or in the midst of the recession mm-hmm. and i had gotten a, at least several projects under my belt one was a, a very big house that was remodeled and i did a guest house with that 
um, it still didn't, I mean, it was great to do those type of projects. It was a great opportunity. And I did other projects, commercial and other residential projects since then, but none of them really resonated with my philosophy around sustainability. Well, that's what and I was, so, sorry, that's what I was going to um, mention is that when you look at your website, the, the, the examples of the work that you've done are seem, in my interpretation, are the type of uh, works that that do have pretty big ecological footprints that they're beautifully designed, but they're, they're, they look like rich people's houses to me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and it is. Most architects have clients who have a lot of financial resources and that just didn't resonate with me. I just hated that part of my profession and I'm actually quite a bit against that. And that's why, I decided to design and build something that really reflected my values because I didn't believe in my profession of what it was doing to the environment and the, um, the, a lot of the clients that we catered to. I just, it should, architecture should be for the good of most people instead of the top 1% of the population. Why should it be? Because you shouldn't be serving, you shouldn't be giving quality architecture only to those who, who can't afford it. Essentially, who, you should be solving, you know, the housing issues for the majority of the people and the people that we serve as, you know, architects as clients. They're, they're definitely not those in need. And so that, and plus the environmental impact, it just didn't make any sense to me. And, you know, growing up in the Philippines where I'm from a family who had really not much resources at all, I understood that. So Yeah, it, it does It does seem that for the lower income, the people living in the lower income strata, having a place that's beautiful and calming and relaxing and all that, which is something an architect can create deliberately, could be really beneficial to that type of person and if you don't have the means to access and so i think what you're saying is that rich people have the opportunity not only to consume a whole bunch of resources with their money but also create these wonderful places that they can really rejuvenate in that you're saying possibly possibly lower income people don't have access to correct absolutely um so yes, affordability is to me one of one of my main drivers for my company as well as the tiny house movement, um, which I think you know a lot of people are able to access quality housing through the tiny house, like me, and um, at the same time giving much lower environmental impact. As an inventor, I use the term um, sometimes when I do some self-description i use the term design for functionality Mm. um when you're doing design or when you're creating um sometimes you have the opportunity to add functionality or add some additional features that are not immediately um immediately uh, obvious can you talk a little bit about you you said architects should help solve you know the housing crisis and we should help solve bigger societal problems can you talk about that in relation to design for functionality that houses are more than just four walls yeah absolutely um great question you know it's just when i did projects that were you know for big um big clients big houses big commercial projects 
it, it was a great opportunity for design and kind of invention or uh, great yeah creativity but i really marvel in the idea of efficient design and how you can maximize your space maximize your functionality with a very limited amount of space. And that goes along with the resources, financial resources. How can you maximize your, your budget or minimize your budget by maximizing the quality and efficiency of the space? And to me, that's a, a much better challenge and much bigger um, question to solve. So one of the things I think in tiny houses that are really important is multifunctionality in every aspect, like your furniture, your space. Um, so for instance, the great room, which everybody has in their tiny house, functions as so many different spaces um, for me, as well as for other people. It's your living room, it's your dining room, it's my office space, it's my media room, it's my dressing room, it's it's a million different rooms in one party room um, <laughs> party room totally on room <laughs> i mean you can have a ton of people entertained in your great room and you you know you look at a traditional home that would equal i don't know maybe a thousand square feet or 500 square feet where we have maybe i don't know i'm looking at mine now it's probably eight by ten at most 80 square feet that's that's a huge efficient you know space so uh that's that's one one aspect of designing efficiently um and the multifunctionality of furniture if you can transform your desk into a dining table into storage into um you know side tables a chair a sofa which a lot of people do it's it's great. That's just one of the other aspects of tiny house design. Did I answer your question? Michelle? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I'm going to take it one step further um, for our listeners. Let's let's take this question one step further and, and let's talk about the multifunctional pieces you have in your space. Walk through your space for us. Um, describe your kitchen, describe, describe your living room and the various multifunctional pieces you have. And of course, which one you're most proud of, which feature in your house that you ever smile every time you look at it? <laughs> um, well, first, I want to say that my project consists so much of other people who help me in this, um, mostly a lot of artisans and craftsmen in my community who are also my friends. So they definitely were a big part of bringing this project to life. So I just want to give a shout out to a lot of them. Um, but as you walk into, uh, let's start with my deck. Um, my deck is probably one of the most popular aspects of my house. And my deck is also my dining room. It's also kind of my entertaining room because it's about eight feet long by I don't know, 10 feet, no, maybe 14 feet long. Um, so past the deck, you enter the French doors and the French doors has the great room directly in front of it. My um, sofa is also storage um, underneath the cushions and above the cushions, you know, it could be 
the bed, a guest bed, because I measured myself and that can fit, you know, not a, a super tall person, but my husband actually gets to sleep on it too, even though he's six feet. Um, and the mattress on the couch also can go upstairs on my small loft. So my small loft can also function as a guest bed. Um, right next to the sofa is my coffee table, kind of dining tables, kind of storage and side table. And that's tucked underneath my desk. It's on casters. So it can roll easily from my desk to in front of my couch. Um, and it, it's nested with each other. So it can slide underneath the couch and slide underneath the, um, the bigger dining storage coffee table. Uh, let's see. In my kitchen, there's two big pieces of cabinetry. Um, on the right-hand side, as you're entering the kitchen, is my wardrobe space, which has a stencil inlay of branches in front of it. Um, and on the left side is more of my kitchen uh, countertop area, which has a lot of places for storage. Um, the sink is actually quite big even though it's a single bin it has a faucet that you can pull out to clean the kitchen i mean to, to clean the sink and there's a pantry unit um to the very back which is really high and lots of storage for toiletries and other kitchen items um it's also my hamper so i can store a lot of my dirty clothes in there um <laughs> Which people don't see. And that's actually another thing about tiny house design. It's really important to have a lot of storage to just hide a lot of your crap in. Yeah. So that's not seen outside. So if you can get rid of all that crap inside a, a closed area, it makes the space look so much cleaner when it really isn't. Oh, the the toe kicks underneath my cabinets um, store a lot of my stuff on top of my um, desk area when I have tours I just put a lot of the stuff in the toe kick drawer because it just hides everything and there's uh, drawers in the toe kicks the entire length of my cabinetry in wow. the, in the and then underneath the um, the stove top the two burner stove there is a ton of storage in there with my uh, small refrigerator to the right of it and uh, the refrigerator itself is really functional because um, it stores a lot of items on the door as well as um, there's no uh, freezer inside the refrigerator. So there's a lot more storage um, without the freezer and it functions better without the freezer also. Um, as you go back to the bathroom, um, it's really small. It's about 30 inches deep by um, you know, seven and a half feet long, but it has a full shower. It has a composting toilet and it has a sink. Um, so it's really functional, but the, the key throughout the design is the light and um, the amount of windows and natural ventilation. So my sink alone has um, kind of a countertop double function. It's from Ikea. So I can put my... Um, toothpaste and lots of other toiletries on that and in my 
my composting toilet is also double function. It's disguised usually as a bench, so you don't even see the toilet part of it. It's just a, a wood top that I can sit on and um, put all my clothes when I'm changing. And the funny part is when my husband is up on the loft sleeping and I need to do some work without him seeing any light, you know, at night or, or hearing any noise, I lock myself inside the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> it's like the, the Portlandia toilet. episode. Did you guys see exactly. the Portlandia episode where he was sitting on the toilet working on his laptop no. while she was taking a shower? No. That's what reminds me of. Yeah, he was kidding that he was writing a novel on top of his toilet. And I'm like, that's not so far-fetched. So I'm going to get I some work done. Laptop, yeah, it's a great space. I love it. The realities um, of tiny house living. Yeah. Yep, it's it's an office and the bathroom and the toilet. So I have so um, many. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I so the, my favorite part actually. Uh, well, I'd say there's a couple of favorite parts, but I'd say one of the most favorite spaces of my tiny house is my loft. Um, so you climb up the ladder from the great room, and. Uh, you know, contrary to what most people think for a gabled roof on a loft, it's not at all constrictive up there. It's completely, for me, spacious because there's a lot of light in there. The The bed area is very long. It's 10 feet. There's a lot of space to go around the bed to make the bed to have, you know, two, three people sit up there. The head height is at least, I don't know if it's three and a half feet or four feet at the peak of the roof. But um there is a huge skylight that allows a lot of light, and um, it's it's just really cozy. It's functional. It's not at all constrictive. And there is a window, triangular windows across the other side of the tiny house where you could see trees and nature opposite of where my loft is. So everywhere you turn, you're looking outside. It's not constrictive at all. So having a dormer up there for me is not at all necessary. I'm completely happy with not having a dormer. And it adds to the cost, having an additional dormer on your roof when you have a, a gable roof. Well, it certainly looks um, elegantly simple without the dormer. How, how tall are you, Vina? Um, I'm not very tall. I'm about five foot two mm. at most, probably. And then your husband's <laughs> six foot. Yeah, six da, feet, da, maybe da, five da, eleven. Da, da, da. And okay. But underneath my kitchen, I mean, underneath my loft, which is my kitchen, it's six foot eight, and anyone can stand in there very comfortably. Two or three people, no problem at all. So it's not designed specifically for me as a as a short person, anyone can fit in my tiny house without a problem. Right. So you, you've mentioned your husband a couple of times. I didn't know you were married. Do you do you two live full time in the tiny house or do you have a house? Is this <laughs> You're recently married, right? Yeah, I recently married Very soon recently. after. Yeah, soon after I built my tiny house, it, it was a really interesting process building a tiny house with your partner, who was my partner was, you know, uh, my now husband, but he never intended in living in my tiny house with me. Um, I think he knew realistically it wouldn't work for me or for him, but he has his own cabin on the property. Um, we share it. We, we have the property that we rent and he's on one side of the property. I'm on the other side. So it's a his and hers cabin and it's really interesting. But um, I love it that way. I think it's great. So but he spent a 
Go ahead. I was just going to say, so you, you live full-time in your tiny house, and then he has a cabin that he lives in full-time? Yep. And how uh, big a is A full-on man cabin. His cabin is probably 400 or 300 square feet. It's not big either. Okay. And, and how big is this piece of property that you live on? It's one acre, so okay. we rent it from uh, the owners who don't even live nearby. They're in San Francisco area. Interesting. And and um, can you see his cabin from where you are in your tiny house? Um, there are so many trees on the property that I can't because of that. Um, I can definitely see it from my loft, um, but there is there is a bit of trees that allows a lot of privacy. So it's it's you know like a two minute walk to his cabin. I wish it was closer, but the way we sided my tiny house without taking down any trees there wasn't much other possibilities and we didn't want to take down any trees so it was fairly limited to that so so how long have you um been in relationship with what's this man's man's name his name is cliff okay how long have you been in a relationship with cliff he was uh let's see probably five six years and we married about a year ago so when we started building the tiny house together we were in a relationship for about six years five and a half years and so when you're when when you were building the tiny house where were you living I was living in another guest house um, about two three miles away from where this property is from where he he lived on his own. He lived on his own on the property before I moved here. So so many of the couples that we, or many of the people we've interviewed on this show who live in tiny houses live with their spouses or partners in their tiny houses. What you, Yours sounds like an interesting relationship in that you guys don't cohabitate. How does that, how's that working out? You, it sounds, sounds like you guys are doing fine, but I'm just curious about your living situation. You know, I think everybody has their own preferences obviously it works really well for us um he <laughs> he doesn't live like i do he's kind of the opposite he likes a lot of clutter he likes dark spaces he i i i, I can't think you know when i go into his cabin it's it's great for his purpose he does have a nice kind of a skylight on the ridge of his roof but otherwise the walls are dark and i i just i much prefer a, a lighter um you know lighter space with not much clutter does his and, sorry does his space look like a log cabin or does it is it more of a modern no, it's it's definitely more of a loft cabin. I mean, he he built it on site. He he did a lot of it himself. Um, actually, I have more amenities in my tiny house than he does. I have a bathroom. Um, he doesn't have a full kitchen. He, there's an outdoor bathroom that we both use, which has a, a toilet um, on septic. Um, I can't use my composting toilet because our county does not allow for it legally. So we do use the outside toilet. Um, but if the composting toilet was legal, I would be using it 100% of the time. But he comes here a lot because... He needs he the can light? 
Yeah. He needs the light. He needs the light. He needs, the light. He needs to cook. He needs to take a shower. Oh I mean, my there's God. an outdoor shower. He he has a cloth with the bathtub, which is amazing. It's really interesting because when I first met him, that's what really just attracted me to him. He lives such a simple tub? life that he built. <laughs> you know, with his own hands, his cabin and his bathtub is outside underneath this tree. And I love taking a shower in it after a few, a few times doing that, the wear, you know, the, the novelty wears off because if it's freezing outside and it's, you know, six o'clock in the morning and you have to go to work and it just living like that is a nice romantic notion. But um, anyway, I, I want to be inside when I take a shower at least half of the time. So your tiny house is plumbed. It's totally plumbed. And <laughs> it has really nice insulation, have a huge skylight. It's, it's really well sealed. There's a fireplace. Um, that's fully functional. I mean, I, I live in total luxury, I think. As opposed to Cliff, <laughs> who's looking longingly at your place. Do you guys have like some kind of code system, like to, to like if you're far enough away, like light system or walkie-talkie thing? Yeah. Well, we use our cell phones. So, well, I use the cell phone a lot, but he, um, yeah, he's really he. If I think I'm environmental, he's hugely environmental. He doesn't really believe in buying new things. He. He, um, he he wants to make everything with his hands. He's always saying, why can't we just make this? And I said, a year later, <laughs> maybe we'll finish it. But, um, yeah, he's... He, In the meantime, he, I, I need a spatula. Yeah. <laughs> yes, make the spatula or make the ladder or <laughs> So you got the cell phone and he's got tin cans and wire between them. <laughs> <laughs> He, he he resisted having a smartphone, an iPhone, for a really, really long time. It was just probably less than a year ago that he just got an iPhone. What's his profession? Um, he's a tree uh, climber. Uh, he trims trees and he does an amazing... I mean, he's like the best because he's so active. And um, so he, yeah, he does acrobatic moves, you know trimming trees and and taking care of trees and um That's a yeah job, and he right? he's like an arborist yeah it's a lot of work they get paid because it's a lot of work it's a lot of it's, it's a lot of it's really dangerous yeah. going around power lines, power lines and yeah. yeah it's it's a lot of hard work um but you know he he never wanted a, a desk job he always wanted to be outside and be active he never wanted to be inside an office wow. i i can um your your uh, living arrangement is kind of non-conventional but i can very much relate my uh, boyfriend and i've been together for almost seven years um ours is a little different he lives 160 miles away um, but we still joke about each. We still joke about the fact that if we ever live in the same space, the closest we'll ever be is my tiny house parked in his backyard. <laughs> um, I, I I can totally relate to his you know lack of uh, um, he places no no importance on aesthetics or insulation value or functionality. So I can really relate to that story from that perspective. Well, do you prefer that he lived closer, though? Because, you know, I've had long-distance relationships, and well, he, you know, Cliff wasn't that. But I do wish he was physically closer than kind of on the other side of the property. Um, 
because and I, I wish we had more of a shared space like one shared space where it's not my house or his house it's just our space together um I was wondering but, wondering about that because I'm contemplating in my relationship in our next living situation having separate places but also as I think about that it would be nice to have a co housing space where we could be together when we want to be but then when we don't want to um, because we're sleeping or whatever we sleep better when we're more separate to have our own spaces to go to but I could see how not having a common place would feel like well you come over to my place no you come over to my place you know it kind of is like that a little bit yeah. um, to answer your question succinctly and I don't know what this says about my relationship but right now the 160 miles actually functions really well um, you do I, for sex I it's a every other week kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> a, I go to his house. He comes to my house. Um, yeah, so it is kind of, hey, where are we going to hang out this week in your place or mine? But um, I always tell people that how could I miss him if he never goes away? So That's what I'm saying. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah really. I mean, we do talk yeah. on the phone every single night. People are astounded. at. Uh, we actually have a much better friendship than anything. Yeah. Because we communicate. We almost over-communicate when it comes to that. But... Um, but again, I think it's it's in many ways non-conventional, but so is the tiny house movement. Yep. We sort of give ourselves permission to live outside society's expectations yep. of what a successful relationship looks like. And I think since I've spoken about this, you know, my my situation with my husband to other people, so many people said, Vina, that's the greatest <laughs> way I think, you know, they would have their relationship because it really allows you to value the other person's time when you're together, um, as well as when you're apart, you really, really miss the person more and really treasure the time when you're together. And you also um, get that... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, and you don't have to nitpick about the silly little things like why didn't you put the cover down on the toilet when you finished using it or what, uh, you know, the toothpaste when you closed it. It, it. Those things are so mundane to a relationship, but they can really eat up, you know, if, if it becomes uh, a major frustration. But what, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say the, that the... Um, not only do you appreciate the other person's time, but you appreciate your own time and value your own personal space and your own identity and your own comfort with yourself. And that's been a big part of the distance in our relationship is because I've been married before twice and I always felt like I fell down the priority list Yeah. because I'm a mom and because I'm an employee and because I'm a wife my obligation to myself always fell down the list. Oh, yeah. So this is my way of keeping myself a little bit further up the list most of the time. And I only have to compromise that position for myself yeah. Um, occasionally. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, having respect for the other person's, you know, space and, and um, goals and even finances, we do. When we got married, really nothing changed. <laughs> um, I still have my fan finances. He has his. The taxes were weird because in California, everything's community property. So suddenly my taxes changed quite a bit in his because we got married. We couldn't just, even if we filed separately. But, um, you know, it... It's it's really allowing the other person to um, to live their potential or or um, their own goals 
with the other person in mind, but essentially it's supporting the other person for I'm that. Not trying to change them. I think that's part yeah. of it too. I think part exactly. of two lives coming together is suddenly we think that their habits have to change. And again, these are these are self-care habits and bathroom habits. And somehow we expect that when you cohabitate, they have to change. And I think that's a that's a really really that's a sort potential source of conflict. Um, well, that, that's what got that's what got me where I'm thinking is that living with my wife has we've only been together for a little while, but um, in the same house and living with my wife has shown me exactly what you're saying Michelle and I would rather uh, I'd I'd rather be in a place where she could be how she is in her own living space instead of trying to get her to conform to mine right and same thing vice versa I I in in many ways Vina we're we're much like you guys she she except it's opposite she prefers to live pretty relaxed let's say and I'm a little more being a Virgo I'm a little more tight in terms of how I like to live. And so odd couple. Yes. It's like, that. yeah, it's like yeah. the odd couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so rather than her trying to tell me to loosen up and not be so concerned about dishes in the sink, um, I'm just like, why don't we both have our own spaces where you can live the way you live. I can live the way I live. We can respect each other's way of living and be and much, still be in a relationship, yeah, and still be in a relationship, still exactly. be in a relationship. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Is it possible to find a relationship with a per- person that agrees, like, with everything? He's a collector, you know, he has a ton of stuff, and I don't like stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was one thing that I just learned was I'm going to appreciate him for his attributes and for what he brings to the relationship without burdening the relationship with my expectations of how he's supposed to be. Mark, Mark is being <laughs> silent, um, but Mark has a way different situation. Well, yeah, I mean, having just celebrated a 30th wedding anniversary, 30 years in a row with the same woman. <laughs> this is the last time I checked. No, <laughs> anyway. I haven't so. done anything for like more than <laughs> one year in I know. a row. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, so I'm like listening to this and I understand it all. But I mean, you know, Pam and I were obviously married at about the age of eight when this happened. But, um, <laughs> but you know, so we've kind of, in that regards, you know, getting together right out of college, we still kind of grew up together, even though it didn't feel like at the time. I mean, we were in a relationship for three years before we were married and then 10 years before we had kids. So, you know, we've kind of, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it kind of d- compared to what you guys are discussing because yeah. they're all relatively newer relationships. And mm-hmm. with 30 years, we're just so incredibly comfortable together. Blah, blah, blah. Shout out to Pam. Now the no. truth. No, anyway. <laughs> I think it has to do with age. I think it has to do with age, so too. too. So my boyfriend is a little bit older than I am. He's about 55 or 56. I can never remember. But he's always <laughs> lived by himself. He's, you know, he doesn't have any children. He's never had a roommate. The man is so abhorrent of commitment, he doesn't own a plant. <laughs> so, again, that's fine for his space and for his time and for his life. But... Um, maybe it has to do with age. If you grow up together, you get married young, you kind of become yourselves together. But at my age, I am who I am. Who? What was it? Uh, Popeye. Popeye, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and part of it's growing up and, and kind of looking, remaining independent of each other, but looking in the same direction and going in that yeah. direction together, too. Because there's definitely things that are very distinct. But still, when we look back at like our oldest, who's now 23, it's like, Wow, we were almost married by that age. These, <laughs> these little what? three dudes were raising no chance in hell. You know, I mean, it just, that's what it feels like yeah. now anyway. Vina, how old are you? 
I just turned 50 this year. And how old is Cliff? Cliff is 47. I see. And so, yeah, so you're, you're, you guys, you and Cliff are in the same similar situations that, that Michelle and I are in, in terms of meeting someone in our adulthood. And Mark and I talked about this and how that can really make a difference in how the, the, the dynamics you bring unfolds. to a relationship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you think, um, do you think that the tiny house movement, the emphasis on, um, sustainability, uh, the emphasis on functionality, do you think that what we're discussing here about <clears throat> thinking outside the box in terms of relationships, um, do you find those things um, are more common outside of your relationship? What's your experiences um, in discussing this with other with other people in the tiny house movement? Um, you mean in terms of relationships? Right. Do you think the tiny house yeah. people are more con? comfortable with unconventional relationships than normal people like my I don't I from what I've seen not necessarily because a lot of tiny houses I know live in the same tiny house the same house as their partner so I'm the only one I know of who don't live in my tiny house with my partner um I don't know if you know any others but I think I, I and I'm you know, and I'm married. I'm not even, he's, he's not just my boyfriend. I'm married. And we got married after we built the tiny house and he built, he helped me build it. So it wasn't, he was invested in, in it even before, and he's still not interested in living in it. So we, I, I think we have a really interesting, unusual relationship that I don't know of anyone else. I, he's, he's very different from, I mean, from the get-go anyway. Yeah, the, so, the people that I recall us interviewing have been um, people who have built the tiny house together and they live in it. Um, one person built a tiny house, moved on to a community, met another guy, and now they're, I think, contemplating living together if they're not already. Yeah. Building a house to live or in live, together, yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lena. Yeah, Lena. Yeah, and then there's a Christian couple we met that's Christian living together. Alexis, yeah, um, and there's um, obviously Macy, um, yep. who... Who got married? Oh well, she didn't get married, but she's now living with her partner and mm -hmm. the two kids. Now, so everyone's living in their house together or plan to. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it seems it seems that you would be kind of a different drumming individual compared to other people mm -hmm. that we've interviewed, mm -hmm. at least. Although I have to say, with regard to your profession, we have had the pleasure. Of, actually, just last week we were interviewing an architect who, um, what was his name? Sean David Burke. Sean David Burke, who's building. Oh yeah, Sean. Yeah, he's uh -huh. building that uh, tiny house out of a shipping container. Yeah. Um, and he had a kind of interestingly, he had some. He didn't speak as much about it as you did, but he had some issues about his profession too. Um, but we didn't get a chance to probe into that. Um, well, it would be interesting about his his um, take on relationships if he's planning to, if he, you know, found somebody he wants to live with would he ask that person to live with him or whatever his situation might work for I don't him. remember I don't remember talking with him about his I, I think he was unattached I recall I think so too. um he said no I don't want to talk about that oh, oh that's right because he had just finished he just finished a relationship that that uh yeah he, don't he, go deep now exactly. yeah. he's not on the line <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 
we so it wasn't by accident that we didn't drill down too yeah. deeply. However, yeah. he did talk a lot about um, the transformative nature of building the house and how it transformed his sense of self and his relationship. That's right. Thank sort you. Of from, oh, that's again, interesting. Yeah, from well, a very you know, general perspective. I think it doesn't really matter what your your thoughts on relationships are because the, the, what I love about tiny houses is they're so flexible. Mm. You can easily have another tiny house, you know, with like what I've built another, um, it's a tiny office, but it, it could also be a tiny house, a living space. Then I told my husband, Cliff, you can live there if you want to because I want to buy property at some point. And without him building something immediately on the property, he can just live in my tiny office, tiny other tiny house, and I can live in mine and, you know, we can still live together on the same property. Or if I want to buy a property with a small tiny house on a foundation, we can both live there and then ha rent out my tiny house, which I don't think I'll do because I'm so attached to it or, you know, just have it there. But you, whatever situation you have, you can always expand into a relationship with um, different circumstances with your tiny house. I totally agree. So that just to, cl to clarify for myself, as an architect, you're not, although you have catered to the wealthy before, you you yourself are not wealthy. No, far from it. And and okay, and and um, your sole design organization. Who who do you currently cater to? Who are your customers? Um, those with just modest incomes. They're not super rich. They're one project of mine right now is a guest house um, in Ventura, and it's about six hundred, no, seven hundred square feet. Um, he's modest income. He's not super rich. Um, another client of mine, she is wanting to have a commercial, it's not a yoga studio, but it's a, a movement um, studio. She's not, you know, financially wealthy. She's she's a modest income. Um, so th that's kind of where my goal was, to just provide quality building architecture to those who are not, super affluent yeah um so i'm 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 happy to do that the, the the other part of my business right now since my tiny house is for tiny house clients um that want to have custom designs for their tiny house or want to have one built or consultations and having tours of my tiny house and things like that but um I wouldn't say that's the profitability of my business right now. That's uh, my architecture projects actually allow me to focus a little bit more on my tiny house projects because that's where my passion lies, but it's not as financially profitable as my architecture projects. So in a way, my architecture projects are funding my tiny house projects, which okay. is which is good because otherwise I wouldn't be able to really support myself just with my tiny house projects. Right. So we, we're almost out of time, but I just want to ask you a couple, a couple of questions. I understand that, um, Ohio is in the process of legalizing tiny houses. What's up with that? Yeah, I've been working with a planning commission member named Chester, um, who is also a, a colleague of mine has, uh, developed a, uh, 
he's a contractor that I've worked with in the past, but um, we're working with a lot of the city council members to help um, spread the idea of tiny houses as a means for affordable housing as a second dwelling unit or as an ADU as known in Portland. Um, so we're towards kind of the final phase of that, taking it from the planning commission um, phase to the city council presentations, which is happening in June 28th. We just had a recent meeting for a presentation um, with um, Dan Fitzpatrick, who started changing the zoning code from Fresno. Um, when you interviewed Zach, that was really interesting how he thought that that was uh, uh, an, a very groundbreaking um, part of legalizing tiny houses, what they did in Fresno, because I, I definitely believe that they started something really big. And I asked that the person, Dan Fitzpatrick, to do a presentation here in Ojai. And so we've been able to gain much better grounding to help the city officials um, be open to that idea of having tiny houses as second dwelling units. So um, we will have a vote on June 28th with city council members to legalize it and implementing, changing the ordinance for that. Cool. I My presentation in front of the Sherwood City Council is next Tuesday. I've been invited <laughs> to come back and speak again. And I too will be uh, taking the, the new Fresno example uh, case in hand with many others to to sort of uh, do my part in my little corner of the world. That's great. Are you working with um, uh, Andrew Morrison at all on that or, or consulting with him? Um, no, not yet. I mean, I, I would consider him sort of an ancillary resource to my project. Um, so we're not to the vote point yet. I'm sure he'll probably come up and rah-rah when we get to that point. But but I think um, thank you very much for your advocacy uh, of the tiny house movement. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time, for what you do um, for all of us. Um, it, it's really fun to reach out on a weekly basis and touch base with other people that yeah. have the same passions. It is. And the same, uh, the same, you know, relatable experiences. Yeah, really cool. Absolutely. I completely agree. And thank you so much for all the work that you're doing and getting all the, you know, luminaries of the tiny house people every week because i enjoy your podcast and learn a lot from each of the interviews that you have oh awesome um thank you too for uh working around your schedule i know we had some busyness going on in your area and we appreciate you making time for the show thank you you're very welcome guys all right so listeners thank you so much for another uh for listening to another episode of the tiny house podcast we're looking forward to next week when we're going to be talking with um who is that? Alexis Stevens and Christian Parsons. Yes. Cool. Tiny House oh. Expedition. There we go. Right on. I'm impressed you guys actually knew who the next guest was going to be. Uh-huh. We're cheat sheets. We're she trying li- to get Because she listens to our podcast <laughs> and she knows that Thank we have you. to be intentional about that. Very, very Thank cool. you, Mark, for making us sound really uh, yes. right, Like no. we got our stuff together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Thank listeners, you. for listening. And have a great week. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if you remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. 
please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating or whatever. You tiny house loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. 